Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Christina Dennis, I am a recovery coach who focuses on codependent behaviors. Welcome to uh, Recovered Life Discussions. As Elizabeth stated, this is the Rewire Your Brain Room. And we have been doing a deep dive into Atlas of the Heart, cultivating meaning, uh, meaningful connections from uh, Brene Brown. Uh, we actually started this in February when the book came out and we have gone chapter by chapter. Really, really powerful, powerful information. And so uh, today we're actually uh, going for part two of the final chapter, which is cultivating meaningful connections. But to give um, everybody who's here a little background, the um, the book, if you have not read it, is a, I mean, fabulous piece of work, and it cult, you know, really, uh, it's a real accumulation of a lot of the work that uh, Dr. Brown does. Um, Dr. Brown has shared that she's in recovery, and the start of the uh, book study that we did really shared why she was going and deep diving into 87 emotions and experiences. It was massive. And I know that they're all on the replay. So don't feel that you're behind because there'll be valuable information being shared right now um, based on, you know, uh, kind of the, the completion of all of these emotions. But please, if you are interested on listening, uh, listening to it on the replay, you will see that every um, week uh, we had some amazing conversations about it. And, you know, some people might be like, well, why is this in the rewire your brain room? Well, right from the beginning, she shared that being able to define emotions and experiences and having the information helps us actually move through uh, move through them quickly or in forms of of how we are supposed to you know kind of uh, feel they inspire they inspire us to look beneath the surface surface and have names for all of our feelings and that in turn changes our brain which is why it is rewire your brain and why it applies um, I think that it's been an amazing experience and Elizabeth I know you've been able to come for a few of the discussions and I so appreciate your input and I think we'll go ahead and get started with um, picking up where we left off last week. You know, just to give a quick review, last week we discussed um, one was theory and how, you know, Brene came to these kind of conclusions on many of the emotions and she explained that she is a grounded theory researcher which I've shared before in this in this room specifically but also that her inductive research um, will go through many many um, 
you know, uh, other researchers that'll come behind her and do the deductive research. And she explains the reason why she came up with her theories uh, was, you know, thousands and thousands of pieces of information. I think at one point in time in the book, she shared that she had, uh, you know, that they had surveyed 7,000 people. And, um, you know, so it's a very scientific, if you're listening and going, well, how does she know that? It's a very scientific um, research that starts without a theory. And then after you build the research, you start to realize there is a there is a theory that's coming out of the work. Uh, whereas in the past or in other research, they may start with a theory and then go down the research to figure out what is, you know, does the research support that theory? And so uh, last week we talked about um, her discussion about how there was always a piece of information missing in her work and she couldn't exactly put it together. All of her books before have gotten close, but this is this is the, the, the within this book is when she discovered the concept of near enemy again and started to apply that. Why we get into uh, you know connections that are not exactly whole um, why it may seem like we're getting close or we're, you know, feeling feelings, but they're not exactly right. And so she explains that the near enemy of these big, this big information is what keeps us kind of running in circles. And the reason why that applies to addiction is because, you know, we, um, I'll speak for myself, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and we have you know, I have drank over these feelings. I have drank over misunderstanding these feelings. I have run for these feelings. And so this has been an amazing, amazing opportunity for me to dive deep and I've learned a lot. And to bring it all home, we look at the three elements of actually, you know, the three big pieces of how to cultivate meaningful connections. And they are grounded confidence, the ability to walk alongside with somebody, and story stewardship. And last week he explained, I explained what grounded confidence was. You know, this is a concept that she brought in um, in her Daring to Lead book, and she believes that there'll be more work around it. So what is grounded confidence? Um, it's the abil ability to rumble with vulnerability, stay curious, and practice new skills um, that maybe we haven't before. Um, she believes the concept's going to turn out to be another book, but right now that's the meaning that we have. And if you've read her book, please feel free to jump up on the stage and share um, if you haven't read her book, because the format of this room is a discussion. So I bring my notes and uh, Elizabeth has been gracious enough to jump up and take the place of Deanna, but I don't want any of you to feel like you're just here to listen. So raise your hand if you'd like to come up and start sharing. And also because this is recorded for replay as well as rebroadcasted on um, our podcast in Recovered Life, um, please use first names only and stay with uh, the comments that are kind and respectful. And those are the only two rules. So we went through grounded confidence last week and the near enemy of grounded confidence. So 
What is grounded confidence? Like I said, it's the ability to rumble with vulnerability, to stay curious, and to practice new skills. This kind of confidence is driven by commitment and learning and improving, commitment to learn and improve. And the near enemy of grounded confidence is knowing and proving. And what we know about people who have uh, their focus is on knowing and proving what they know, they actually, that actually is a function of low self-worth. And so that is the near enemy of grounded comfort. Um, confidence versus far enemy, which is a fragile self-worth that drives us to self-protect at all costs. Some of the skill set that we need, um, and again, this is just review from last week, is to develop to develop grounded confidence and stay in our learning place and always improving is knowing the language of human emotion, which is why the 87 languages that we've studied up until this point is important. Practicing courage, which means you're able to rumble with vulnerability, staying curious, and practicing humility. One of the problems we have when we practice humility is that we get it confused sometimes with the near enemy, which is confusing uh, humility with modesty and insecurity with humility. So what is the far enemy of practicing humility? is hustling and hubris. <laughs> and I think that many of us who show up in the recovery world and are able to stay kind of understand that the more we know, the less we know. And so it's, I love that, um, that in the research, it kind of brought that to the light in many, many cases, not just what Christina says or other people that are in, you know, peer support groups. It really is part of the grounded confidence and it's important that we continue to do those things. A second part of grounded confidence is feeling embodied, which is connecting with self. And uh, per Brene Brown's book, she, she stated this, and I think this is one of the one of the blind spots, and Elizabeth, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that in recovery, you may hear things like feelings aren't facts. And we all know that unbelievable distance between our head to our heart. But she brings the data that supports that if we are disconnected, we will never have grounded confidence. Um, she quoted a book, Body Keeps the Score. Are you familiar with that book, Elizabeth? No, I am not familiar with that book. Oh, it's it's jarring. And I really recommend that if you decide to pick it up, that you have a, you know, do it in a book club or with a therapist or a coach, because it's pretty jarring. Uh, that's, you know, quotes, one of the largest studies ever made, almost 36,000 people from Kaiser Permente, and about how even though we may disassociate, trauma victims cannot recover until they become familiar and befriend the sensations in their bodies. So if we are frightened, which many of us are, I believe, that show up in recovery, um, if we have a frightened body, our body will always be on guard. If, you know, angry people live in angry bodies, the bodies of child abuse victims, um, they, find a, they have to find a way to relax and feel safe. And if I think back to my early days in recovery, um, I remember that one of the things that I did was I drank to feel safe. I drank to dis disconnect. I drank to run away. The last thing I ever wanted was to feel any, any um, physical sensations. 
And I don't think I'm alone in that. Elizabeth, what do you say? Yes, right. I agree with you. Um, uh, I'm a, a, in recovery from alcoholism as well. And I, I think if you gave me anything else, I'd like that too. So, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I'm 13 years in recovery. And, you know, I like the title of this, the, the Wednesday uh, Room rewiring your brain and when i think of when i came into recovery to now i know my brain has been rewired mm -hmm. i absolutely, absolutely i i know that has happened and so i think you chose the name of this group on wednesday very well because just I so nobody gets confused it's tuesday oh it's tuesday <laughs> although we do <laughs> we do have a wonderful, wonderful room on Wednesday. So in order to change, people need to become aware of their sensations. That's why embodiment is so important in grounded confidence. Um, the, nine, the mind needs to be re-educated to feel physical sensation. The body needs help to tolerate and enjoy the comforts of touch that individuals who have lacked emotional awareness are able to connect to physical sensations and connect those physical sensations to psychological events. So um, grounded confidence is driven by learning and curiosity. It's easier to live in our heads and be disconnected from our bodies, but there is always a cost. Hence the name of the body keeps the score. And a lot of us in early recovery and in later recovery will have problems with depression, anxiety, insomnia. This is our body telling us we have to pay attention. And she brings in the, the idea from Prentice Hemphill for people who are interested and want to kind of research and go down the road of how do I get embodied? What does that actually mean? I don't feel my body and I need to learn. There is, uh, they have an embodiment institute. So I always like to give people resources so that they can see it. The embodiment awareness is necessary to realign what we do with what we believe. And I think it's important that if you can't figure out or you're struggling with whether you are embodied or what that feels like, I think it's important to kind of look at some of the things that I did in my drinking days. And that, you know, feeling I would have that I was going down the wrong road or I was doing things that were outside of my value system. I wanted to get away from that feeling as much as possible. And if you have had a habit, which is what embodiment is, it's a habit of checking in. We, um, if you had a habit of disconnecting, we do what our brain and our needs are based on what we've done. And so if you have shown up in the recovery world and have kind of been doing things in your, your head and you're, you know, we're here in the brain room, it might seem confusing because I'm talking about physicality now, but it is so important to remember that if we are not embodied, if we've spent the last week outside of our body, then we are disconnected. And in order to feel confident, to have that grounded confidence, which is one of the key elements of cultivating a meaningful connection, um, then we need to go and kind of do some work around that. The habit to become embodied 
also helps us to start actually becoming embodiment, to practice sitting with yourself, your hand over your heart, which is, you know, right over your vagus nerve, and sit and see and feel the sensations will help us start searching for that. It's one of the things that I always do with every new client, new sponsee, is that I work with them to kind of feel what their body feels like. And, uh, and, and so if, if you've kind of gone down the road of feelings aren't facts, yeah, I get that. In the beginning, I think that that needs to be true, but there will always need to be a time that we connect um, within our body. So what does embodiment, um, what does walking alongside someone mean? That's probably the next place that we need to go because if you remember the three key elements of cultivating a connection is grounded confidence, the ability to walk alongside someone, um, and story stu stewardship. And we're gonna explain the last two in today's. So as I said, Brene Brown has mentioned multiple times that she uh, learned things within this book, within the research of this book that she hadn't had. But in this particular uh, you know, key element of walking alongside someone, she went all the way back to her doctorate or her dissertation, which was the accompaniment movement. Um, and what she learned in that dissertation was that accompaniment, walking alongside someone, is um, not pushing them from behind, not leading them from the front. It's walking next to them in solidarity. And this is something I think that we do really well in recovery. Um, we have very few leaders. Uh, if you are part of the 12-step movement, you know, you know the traditions are based on that. But also all of us are just learning at different phases in our life. And so walking alongside someone has some serious, uh, serious positives and it's part of actually being able to have a relationship with somebody else. What is the near enemy of walking alongside someone? This is where my codependents are going to feel called out. It's controlling the path. Sometimes it can look and feel like someone is with you, but they're trying to control you. There's this feeling underneath it. They're trying to control us or they're trying to uh, control the act the outcomes. And I'd have to say, you know, as many of you know, I have a... Uh, a, d a deep love for recovering my codependent behaviors. And this just smacks of codependency. Um, and I would love it if some people want to come up and start sharing because we've done our catch up and now we're going to get into the meat of today's review. So just putting an invite to anybody who wants to come up. Uh, she tells in this story when she, t do you want to share something, Elizabeth? Yes, what I'd like to say at this point is staying connected. So the most important relationship you're going to have is the relationship with yourself. So always remember that that most connected is learning through recovery is that connection with yourself. So again, going back to that grounded confidence and that ability to mm -hmm. rumble with vulnerability is that deep, deep self-love and going deep into that and then that finding that deep self-worth and that self-confidence 
and when you can be absolutely vulnerable within yourself, then you can be vulnerable within that with others. And when you practice humility in that grounded confidence, uh, you know, with humility and gratitude, you can be peaceful. So that grounded confidence is so important. I look at that as uh, like a foundation in a, in a home, your new home, that is a strong, strong foundation. So when we move on to staying connected, you know, that, uh, that staying connected with yourself like a strong foundation is then when you can walk with someone else, be yeah. it your love partner or your significant relationships in your family. So it's, a, it's, it's again coming back to that rewired that you're strong in your relationship with yourself, now walking with now in, in, in uh, you know, heartfelt relation, now ready for heartfelt, you're healed, you're healing your relationship with yourself and now ready to move out into healthy boundaries, healthy relationships with others in staying connected. I love that. Amber, thanks for coming up. So happy to see you. Hi. Um, thanks for having me. Any reflections on the embodiment? I know last week we were here and you certainly see in your uh in your world, in your profession, how important embodiment is, which is something that I feel like Elizabeth was just speaking on too. Yeah, that's, um, that's everything personally. Um, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start with that, but yeah, that is, it's different too. Okay. How do I say this? It's different to just know something and to read on something and to, to absorb tons of information and it's another thing to like work with your body and your emotions and your system within it. Like I noticed like that's, that seems to be a lot of the game changer for me is like actually moving with myself through the emotions, through the, the moments and the uncomfortability and, um, you know, just the whole, I think personally, I think the 12 steps is an embodiment program. I think it, it kind of forces you to get into your body and to surrender is what I think. But anyways, yeah, I think it's everything and it, it changes how people feel you. It changes how I feel them. Um, I notice even with massage, like checking my embodiment is completely uh, part of the game, especially working with another intimately. Um, you just our nervous systems bounce off of each other and so it's it's important right i mean we can't have a connection with other people which is you know the whole point of this exercise and i think one of the things that you know happens like you said um you know if you if you've gone through 12 steps or any kind of peer support you know what we're talking about it is that ability to walk alongside somebody and you know at this point Brene in in the books shares about how hard it is to name these categories, which I couldn't even imagine, right? (laughs) Like, how would you describe the three elements of cultivating connection and come up with grounded confidence, you know, the ability to walk alongside someone and good stewardship 
story stewardship, but, you know, she explains why, um, how she named it. And it was, she wanted to think about, uh, ask herself, like, what is the, what, what language do I use that is other focused to use language to service others? It's to become empathetic. It's to have compassion. It's to be passionate, non-judgmental. And, um, I think that's kind of nice. It's one of the reasons why we studied all of those uh, emotions and experiences. And so I love that she brings up that the near enemy of walking alongside somebody is trying to control the path. Because as I mentioned, good old codependents like me, we like to control paths. We like to believe that we have some control. And she goes on to share some real gems. Um, and I, I'm just gonna share one that I think that will be a lot about tomorrow's room, setting healthy boundaries. And it's from Anne Lamont. Uh, if you don't follow her, she she's brilliant. Uh, it's definitely, she's definitely worth a follow. And she says, help is the sunny side of control. And that just, ooh so true right that you know those of us who do everything or we, we make decisions or jump in to try to control we will um, <clears throat> do everything in everyone's best interest but the truth is we're trying to protect our own self-interest and protect ourselves and how easy it is to be the near enemy you look like you're walking alongside someone you look like you're there feeling the emotions <clears throat> but the truth is, is that you've got an agenda underneath it. And the far enemy of walking alongside somebody is walking away from them. And I think that's pretty easy to determine. It's much harder. The near enemy of this is much harder when you have somebody in who's kind of, um, you know, looks like they're there. They look like it. Just like we learned that the near enemy of empathy was pity. You know, and uh, so it's really, really cool when you think about the near enemy being brought in. Um, and before we move on to kind of diving a little deeper into walking away or walking alongside, I want to ask Chelsea if she'd like to respond. Hi. Yeah, I can relate. Like when you're like, um, oh, the codependence will, like, I'm like, yep, okay. Um, to con trying to control the path. Um, and like, um, you know, thinking that you're like walking alongside with someone, I guess it's just cause like I'm in the middle of this, like currently, or like I was in the middle of it. Like I scooped, um, you know, a guy friend up from, a, he lives a couple hours away. The place that he was staying in, like had bed bugs. So I like rescued him. And he was staying with me for like uh, almost two weeks. Um, and then I like, could, he couldn't go back to where he was living, which was a sober home. Um, and I thought for a moment, oh my God, I'm gonna be like stuck with him, but then was kind of happy about it. Um, and this is like, this is a person that I'm like actively been trying to like detach from like for years. Um, but anyways, um, I, you know, I spoke to my sponsor yesterday and she was like, well, like, you know, you, it felt like some type of control because this person who rarely responds, if they do respond, it's when they respond like this and that, like you had, you know, 
basically in your possession for like a couple weeks. So it must have been very intoxicating, like blah, 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 like all of those things. Um, but I think, you know, now that I'm outside of the situation, I think I was trying to like control the situation in that like maybe I was trying to bump myself up like in his list of people in his head. Like I was trying to manipulate the situation, um, you know, and it and it's it's just it's painful. <laughs> it's painful like um trying to um I guess you know what they call like lovingly detach. Um it's, it's hard to do that. Um, and I know like it's hard to, I don't know. I just, I just relate to, um, what you said, like help is the sunny side of control. Um, because like, you know, it, I know I was just trying to help, but like, also I know like in my mind, I'm like, Oh, like he'll like, you know, he'll see me as an asset or like, you know, maybe when he does get his life together, he'll remember this and like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like me trying to just kind of like put it all together myself, um, instead of like, just kind of, um, bringing my higher power into it and letting things just happen. Um, but anyways, yeah, I just can relate. I can relate to that a lot and I'm muting myself now. <laughs> Chelsea, that was the perfect segue into kind of going a little deeper into this idea of the near enemy of walking alongside is controlling the path. There's an important component that, you know, Brene dives deeper into, and I'm loving that you brought it up. It's power. Power is important for walking alongside. And, you know, it's not just uh, us in recovery. She states that in her research, one of the worst feelings for all humans is to feel like they are powerless. And so we look at power and we often think of it as a negative or it can be a negative. And a lot of times, you know, when we're talking about power in relationships, it's usually we're talking about the um, negative side of power. And so she wanted us to kind of noodle today that one of the best definitions that she's ever heard is from Martin Luther King, where he says, a power is the ability to achieve purpose and affect change. And that doesn't make it good or bad. What makes power dangerous is how we use it. Power is dangerous because when it's disproportionate and it's um, in this excuse me disproportionate influence and to achieve our own personal gain and i really loved thinking about that word power especially when uh you know i believe i'm powerless over uh alcohol uh some of my you know knee-jerk reactions people places and things and all of that but within a relationship I rarely looked at the power <clears throat> outside of just a codependency lens um, or over my child or when I felt like I was being, you know, uh, taken advantage of. Then, you know, it would feel like, oh, my gosh, they have it. And there are three varieties of power. And I want to put these out there and then just hear what this speaker panel wants to say about it, because I think it's really, really cool. Um, power within three variations, and they were explained in the book based on social justice, but I think that they can apply to, to all um, 
to all real areas of power. So power with is based on mutual support, solidarity, collaboration, recognition, and a respect um, for differences. So when we are in a group in which we are all equal, um, power with is, is basically the dynamic we're using. Power to is based in the belief that each individual has a power to make a difference. And so we know that we're powerful because we can make a difference, but power within is a little different. It's based on the ability to recognize differences and respect others, grounded in a strong foundation of self-worth and knowledge. Um, what we most wanna do is operate within a power, a power within, because it allows us to challenge long-held beliefs pushing against status quo and allows us to ask, are there any other ways? And I'd love to hear, you know, Elizabeth and Amber, if you'd like to, and Chelsea's thought about this idea of power um, and the variations. Oh, I like that explanation very much because power within, uh, certainly in, with respect to my recovery has allowed me to have, you know, what I like to refer to as radical acceptance. And when we think, when I think of staying connected with my relationships, I've had to have acceptance, you know, acceptance of myself and, you know, perhaps looking at it as, um, protection of myself and how I want my recovery to to be and to be in uh, perhaps looking at how uh, you know I I have used the 12 steps but I love the design of living as a result of the 12 steps 10 11 and 12 and having that spiritual way of living the and I want to protect that way of living and so I keep myself in that protection mode. So when I want to absolutely stay connected, I protect that from others. So if someone, you know, the near, um, so the people who I associate with, you know, I want to be in pleasing company. I can certainly deal with others. And let's say in a family connection that, People might not treat me well. I will deal with them pleasantly, but I am not going to have them walk all over me, for example. But I will have radical acceptance of, of how they feel um, and keep my expectations in the basement and my, my acceptance on the rooftop. So it gives me a visual, but I will still have love in my heart. So we have that in that staying connected, as Brené Brown says, you know, feelings are not facts. I still don't know exactly how that family member feels. I can't read their mind. I might anticipate that's what they're feeling, but I don't know for sure. But I have to keep my heart right. I have to have that feeling of love because that keeps me in my spiritual zone. I hope I'm not jumping all over the place. So it keeps me right keeps me in the place I want to be um, and you know I but I can still stay connected with my relationships but on my terms 
So I'm not being controlled by someone else. So I hope that uh, answers that question, Christina. Sure. You know, one of the things, I mean, I think that was a wonderful explanation about how you view power. And I think this is such an important, you know, concept to talk about. I think that I'd like to do another room about power completely because, you know, there's always that question. And I'd love to hear from the other two uh, people on the stage about, okay, I'm powerless over this, but what do I have power for? You know, what do I have it? And I know as my, um, as I look at all of my connections and my relationships and even in the lens of social justice, I, I really, really understand the power with and the power to, but the power within can escape me because um, I'm not exactly sure if I am 100% all the time comfort in, in a connection that allows uh, for long beliefs to be pushed against or the status quo. Um, and I know the difference in my connections when I am in relationship with someone that I can say, oh, well, tell me more about that. Or, well, what if it wasn't this way? What if it was some other way? And I learned that in recovery, truly. And, and so I'm always more comfortable when all three of these uh, variations are present. Amber, what are your feelings about that word power and what, uh, how she explained it? Oh gosh. Um, so what kind of popped up for me is um, whenever I feel, I guess having almost like a, a power source within me that is kind of taking care of myself and taking care of um, my needs and making sure that I'm either not overstepping or somebody is intruding. Um, it kind of feels like this kind of um, I don't even know what it feels like, but it, it's, um, yeah. Anyway, so I would just say that it's, I, I notice for me, whenever, it, if I feel someone's kind of coming into my space and I don't feel good about it, having that power to kind of be able to, uh, internally and like energetically be able to go, no, I'm not good with that. And be able to kind of not connect it to insecurity or, oh, are they going to think of me or whatever, but able to uh, love myself enough to be like, I'm good with that. And I can kind of move forward and not have, um, and not push it out in a way that's going to make me feel bad, make them feel bad. Um, I think it's, it's a powerful feeling. Like, I feel like people that you would consider that have high amounts of power, it's like, it's a, it's, it is, it's a, like a firm knowing of themselves and a, a, I love the grounded confidence. I love that part. Um, yeah, this is kind of a deep one, but yeah, I'm here for it. I'm listening. I'm, I'm, I'm staying you. with you. Thank you so much. That's, that is awesome. And, and I know, you know, like you said, this is kind of deep, you know, murky, but it, I really hope that people will take some little time to see how does power play in in your walking alongside somebody because everybody in recovery is you know we are walking alongside each other and um, you know so that's kind of interesting to see it halfway through and then be able to reflect back to you know some of our relationships and see how power you know how come this works 
how do some of my really great relationships work? And it's because I, I have power, you know, with that person. I have power in, in myself to do something and I have power inside knowing that I could, you know, share some information that's challenging. And I do agree with you, grounded confidence. It is, you know, having that where we respect each other and have strong foundation of self-worth and knowledge makes it a lot easier. Chelsea, what do you think about that word power? Hmm. It's interesting because what I was thinking when you were kind of going over like the power to, um, like I was thinking, yeah, like I think each individual does have the power to make a difference. And like, I think that about my friends and, um, and to think like, you know, like the power with like the mutual support and respect. Um, I, I feel like I have that, but like, I feel like the power within, um, I feel like maybe I'm just like lacking that, feeling at the moment. Um, and it's not for like everything. It's just in my current situation. Um, and like, I feel pretty powerless in this situation right now. So, I mean, for me, I have to like redirect it. Um, and like, I, I had to get like guidance for the redirection, right? Like, it's like, I'm feeling pretty powerless right now um, over this situation in my life, which means that like, I'm pretty much just thinking about myself right now. So I have to, um, you know, make a commitment to, um, you know, like to, to help other people um, and to be there to help other people. Um, but yeah, I, um, I feel like in one little category right now, I'm feeling pretty powerless. Um, but, you know, um, I do have a lot of power within at least to acknowledge that. Um, I think it's like, that's like a weird circle, right? Like, cause I do feel like I have the power within because I am acknowledging that I'm powerless. Like, <laughs> um, it's like a weird um, little circle there. But um, yeah, like I, I like this discussion because I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm working on right now, like the power within um, and and kind of acknowledging like different things that I'm like powerless over because it's it hasn't been drugs and alcohol for over seven years. But people, you know, my people addiction is different. So <laughs> uh, anyhow, yeah, it's anyhow. harder. It's definitely uh, detoxing from toxic relationships and working on my codependency and my ACOA issues has been for me much harder than putting down alcohol. And so I admire that you come and share with such honesty. Thank you for being vulnerable. And so now we'll move to the third element of how we cultivate meaningful connections and it's story stu stewardship. It's not easy to say that word, but it's <laughs> that's what she named it. And this speaks to what Elizabeth shared. Um, exactly so. One of the things that Brene says is that for 20 years, she has gotten this wrong. Um, you know, she has said, 
we need to understand emotion so that we can recognize it in ourselves and others. She says in the book, I've said this a thousand times and I've heard it a thousand times from other behavioral therapists or researchers. And she's on, so this is on the record. She no longer believes that we can recognize emotions in other people, regardless of how well we understand human emotion and experiences or how much language we have. She says, what we learned in the last four months was that there are so many emotions that present the same way, you know, like grief, despair, um, hopelessness. Um, there's no way to know when we're observing. And that even though there's some universal expressions for a small amount of emotions, most of our expressions, so if you're really watching somebody and you think, you know, I, I used to think, oh, I know exactly what they're feeling. And being a coach for many years, I've, you know, I realized pretty quickly on, I don't really know. <laughs> I think I know, and I can share how I feel like I might feel in that situation. But um, the only way, which is, is what Elizabeth spoke to, is that we must ask. And the reason why that's important steward, steward, stewardship is because we must honor the sacred story of the ones we share and the ones we are shared with. We have been entrusted with you know, some of the most deep, incredibly valuable, something that's very deep and incredibly valuable. Or we have something valuable we should treat with respect when we share it with people. And this is something that my codependency recovery and all the work that I've done has taught me. Not everybody gets to hear my stewards, my stories, not everybody. We are good stories, uh, stewards of stories we tell when we trust them to the people who have earned it. We're good stewards, stewards of stories. It's going to be hard for me to say that one. Uh, when we hear, when we're listening, we're being curious, affirming, and believing them when they tell us how they experienced it. Um, what's the near enemy? Practicing good stewardship is not performative connection while driving disconnection. And I really thought this kind of like explained it very carefully to me. Um, and I think we dove deeper into this around chapter seven, where we talked about what true empathy is. But I'd love to hear um, what Elizabeth has to say about story stewardship and all of that. Um, and I, uh, after we're done with that, I'll share a little bit of something that she shared on how we can not have a narrative takeover and a narrative tap out. So Elizabeth. I'm sure after the years that you've been here, I know you're a good story steward. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. Oh, thank you. Yes, you know, the the, the near enemy I liked, you know, is the near enemy, you know, to, to uh, not listen, uh, if I understood that correctly. And to be very respectful. And just to give a quick example, I can remember being at a speaker meeting just, and I was so judgmental of the person. I'll never forget this experience. I, I just, it rubbed me the wrong way just looking at the person. And I thought, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. 
and boom, most profound, you know, this story this person told, you know, I wasn't giving the respect. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to listen. And, you know, I was doing this, you know, kind of building up an emotional wall and it the person just tore that down and made me just open up my heart to love. So it was a, turned out to be a beautiful, beautiful experience. And it taught me there is no love with judgment. So it, that must have happened maybe 12 years ago. And I've never forgotten it. So I, you know, if it, the story stewardship, it, it you know, I, have examples of my my teaching that I've learned and um, the the emotion you know I, I love that that we cannot presume to know what someone else is thinking and feeling and to never to never presume because we in my experience I've usually presumed wrong and uh, to always ask and gently ask and gently ask with love. And the more I use love and kindness, the reward of the person expressing themselves has always been profound, you know, in, in their own way. And, and coming back to, it enhances that staying connected and building a relationship or allowing that person that the freedom to have a little more vulnerability, give them the opportunity to have a little more confidence. So maybe it's coming a little more full circle, but giving them that opportunity to exercise that little bit of vulnerability. So thank you. I love that because you just explained what it, it is to listen, be curious, affirm and believe them when they tell you something. And I want to share some of the near enemies um, of of it other than, you know, saying that we know uh, advice giving uh, that kind of person. You know, I always cringe when I think about who I was for many years. And one of the helpful things that she shared because she was really um, open about the fact that there are going to be people who show up in our life that want us to, you know, problem solve with them and understanding there's no way we could possibly understand how or know what this person is actually feeling. We are to listen first and ask the question. Um, and one of the responses that she gave, which I'm going to put in my uh, my bank is, I am grateful you are sharing with me. What does support look like for you? I can listen and just be with you, or I can help you problem solve or whatever it is that you're looking for me, uh, looking from me. And I was thinking, wow, okay, I've got to remember doing that because there's a lot of, of me, you know, rushing in and trying to solve stuff. At least that was for many years, which is, you know, kind of, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to do based on uh, my childhood and what I what I was taught. So rather than building trust by affirming and acknowledging them, we sh- shut people down. So here are the two near enemies that I wanted to share about narrative takeover and narrative tap out. And I'll just explain them both really quickly because I know we're getting to the end and I expected that this would be um, a three part chapter because there's just too much good stuff. 
but a narrative takeover is um, is when we shut people down um, and we you know tell them for instance one of the great examples that we've been able to experience in this country more recently was the narrative takeover um, of black lives matter um, that was an organization that wanted to bring awareness to the violence against uh, black people living everywhere and there was a certain group that came and said oh, you know what, all lives matter and blue lives matter. And it was a way of taking over the narrative. Um, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement had nothing, you know, was not in any kind of way saying that other lives don't matter or that uh, people who serve as police don't matter. But that's a prime example of a narrative takeover. It's when you hijack and you center it around yourself. Um, you question the story because it seems different than what you have. You're not believing. Um, you shift the focus back to you. And a narrative tap out is exactly um, what it says. We basically shut down and stop listening because either it's overwhelming to us or we don't care. And she shared that really if we are in a position with narrative tap out, and I can remember specifically one time in my recovery when I was working with somebody, I had to tap out. Um, I was going through a very painful divorce from my son's father. She also was going through a divorce and called to share some of her emotion. And I had to say, I can't do this for you right now. And uh, what Brene Brown said, and I think this is really important for us with boundaries and everything that we learn, that it's way better to tell somebody up front you can't go there with them, you know, you don't have the capacity, or that even if you don't care, then it is to pretend that you're listening and, you know, offer a few little suggestions back. And with that, I want to see if Amber or Chelsea want to respond to this idea of narrative takeover or, you know, take um, tapping out. Okay, I probably should have called one person. <laughs> I hate that when I do that. So here is the interesting thing, because I think we're going to have to go through this a little more. One of the things that, that Bernie Brown wrote this book for was that she looked at the core things behind um, cultivating meaningful connection. And the one thing that is involved in all three, and this will be the subject of next week's room, is access and application, which means it's language. It is language is why we spent months going down and deep diving into this language, that it's, it's core to every single one of these key elements is that we have to have language in order to explore it deeper. And um, I think that's really cool uh, to share because you may think, why do I have to keep going through, you know, this information? I know my inner child thinks that, like, come on, I don't want to keep belaboring this. Why, um, why is it important for me to know exactly what I'm feeling so that I can share that with somebody else? It was, you know, it, it, 
I know this is how I felt. And the near enemy of not actually using language or having experience with nuanced emotions looks like um, us forcing categories on ourselves or on others. Um, let's say, you know, no, you're sad. And I hate to even like I cringe as I think about how many times I've done this to somebody else in my past versus saying, well, that's anger or that's the, you know, that's jealousy or in fact, even some of the step four process is kind of based on that and how much that changed in me reading this information and listening to it. If you are newly sober, trying to get sober, or you've been sober for decades and are looking to take your sobriety to the next level, the Recovery Breakthrough six-week transformation concierge coaching program might be right for you. Have Damon Frank and Christina Dennis build a custom roadmap to get you on the path to getting what you really need. Receive hands-on concierge coaching and stay focused and productive with our daily check-ins. If you're ready to experience your recovery breakthrough and start the journey towards the transformation you deserve, book a free get to know you call today and find out what is possible in your recovery. To find out more about recovery breakthrough and to book your free call, go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us.